Today we continue our study of life after death and man's ultimate destiny. We've seen that every man has two appointments with God that he can't miss, in which his eternal future is determined. First, soon after his death is a judgment that seals him under eternal salvation or condemnation. And then second, soon after his resurrection is a judgment which decides the degree of his eternal reward or the degree of his eternal punishment. At this point, he enters into his final eternal state. After death, a man enters the next phase of his existence called the intermediate state, which is the time between his death and resurrection. After leaving his body, he continues to exist as a disembodied spirit and goes to one of two places depending on whether he dies in the Lord or in his sins. First we consider the situation before Christ's death and resurrection. Both the Greeks and the Hebrews believed that after death the spirits of men went to a special place under the earth. The Hebrews called this place of departed spirits Sheol, and the Greeks called it Hades. So the Greek translations of the Old Testament translate Sheol as Hades. So Hades and Sheol are the names for the invisible realm under the earth, a place of confinement, where departed spirits must wait until the time of their resurrection and final judgment, when they'll be released into their final and eternal state. As men's bodies went into the grave at death, so men's souls descended to Hades, in the heart of the earth, a holding cell for the dead, separated from the land of the living and from heaven. Some say that Sheol or Hades are simply another word for the physical grave, and sadly, translations often make this mistake. But a study of the 64 references in the Old Testament to Sheol and the 10 references to Hades in the New Testament proves this is impossible. We can make seven deductions from these references to illustrate this. First, there was a place where both the unrighteous and the righteous went at death. But, second, it was a far worse experience for the unrighteous. Third, this place has different compartments. For example, there are references to the lowest shale. Fourth, its direction was always downward, for men went down to shale. Fifth, those who go there are still conscious. Though disembodied, they still experience stimuli and are aware of their location, surroundings, history and situation. They have feelings and they can express themselves. References to their lack of knowledge refers to their ignorance of what's happening on the earth as they now live in a place of separation. Six, even men who were not buried in a grave were said to go to Sheol. And seventh, it is under God's jurisdiction. Once put in shale by death, they can only return to the realm of the living by God's permission, as when Samuel's spirit rose up out of shale in 1 Samuel 28.13, and that was he was described as a spirit arising out of the earth. Passages like Isaiah 14.9-11 describe departed souls arriving in shale, confirming that the souls there are conscious. The references to Hades in the New Testament agree perfectly with the references to Sheol in the Old Testament, that this is a real place under the earth where departed spirits go at death. Some translations use the word hell to translate Hades, especially when referring to the compartment for unbelievers. What's confusing is that hell is also used to translate another Greek word, Gehenna, which is used for the lake of fire. So, the English word hell can either refer to the temporary place of punishment of souls in the intermediate state, or to the final place of punishment of bodies and souls in the eternal state. 
Whereas the grave is the temporary location of the body, Hades is the temporary place of confinement of the soul, where men await final judgment and release into their final destiny. So the body went to the grave, and the soul went to Hades. The body without the spirit is under the power of death, and the spirit without the body is under the power of Hades. Death demands the body, while Hades demands the soul. Because of the fall, all men therefore came under the power of death and Hades, from which there was no escape. That's why death and Hades are often mentioned together in Scripture. Psalm 55.15 says, Let death come deceitfully upon them, let them go down alive to Sheol. Revelation 6.8 describes the fourth horseman of the apocalypse as death going forth to kill a quarter of the world, taking their bodies with Hades following close behind to capture their departed souls. But Revelation 20.13 tells us that death and Hades only have a temporary dominion over men's bodies and souls, for they're both cast into the lake of fire at the end of time. Hades is just a temporary place for departed souls, for they'll eventually be released from it to stand resurrected before the great white throne, after which they'll be sent to their eternal home, the lake of fire. The New Testament also reveals that a major change took place at the resurrection of Christ. So first, we will study the situation before the resurrection. Although at death everyone went to Sheol, Hades, the believers went to a different compartment than the unbelievers. The righteous were carried by angels to a place of conscious bliss called paradise or Abraham's bosom, but the wicked went to a place of punishment called torments. For example, in Luke 23:43, Jesus said to the believing thief on the cross, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Paradise means the palace garden of a king, an enclosed walled orchard like the Garden of Eden. Jesus was assuring him that as a believer he had received God's forgiveness and so was saved from going to a place of punishment after death, but instead he'd go to paradise, a place of blessing, where he'd soon meet Jesus again. Thus Jesus spoke of paradise as a real place. Now we go to Luke 16, which gives the clearest description of Hades before the resurrection. It's given by Jesus there in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Here Jesus clearly taught that men's souls live beyond death and continue to be conscious. He also described in detail what the intermediate state in Hades was like for both believers and unbelievers. This passage of scripture totally contradicts soul sleep, so those who teach soul sleep try and explain it away as a parable. But Jesus never said it was a parable. In fact, it reads as a true story. And even if it was a parable, it changes nothing. For all the parables of Jesus are true to real life, teaching spiritual truths by comparing them to natural realities. They're not mythical stories. Therefore, if souls do not consciously exist after death, then in Luke 16, Jesus would be deceiving us about life after death. Let's read it in, from verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, fed sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and he's still alive, being in torments in Hades. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom, in Abraham's bosom. Here we see that both men continued to exist after death, and they were taken to a place called Hades, the invisible realm under the earth. 
but they ended up in two different compartments of Hades, reflecting the two divergent destinies of the righteous and the unrighteous. This confirms Hebrews 9.27, which says it's appointed unto everyone to die, and after that comes judgment. After death is an immediate judgment that separates the righteous from the unrighteous. Lazarus, as a believer, went to Abraham's bosom, another name for paradise, whereas the rich man, as an unbeliever, went to a place of punishment called torments. However, they were both in the same realm. They were both in Hades, because they could see each other, and they could even communicate with each other. So at this point, before Christ's death and resurrection, believers didn't go to heaven when they died. Torments was below paradise, for the rich man in torments had to lift up his eyes to see Abraham in the distance. Verse 24 says, Then the rich man cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. In verse 25, Abraham responds, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he's comforted, and you are tormented. So believers went to a place of fellowship and comfort called Abraham's bosom, where there was rest and refreshment. This name describes reclining at table with your head resting in Abraham's bosom, denoting close fellowship with him and the other believers in a state of rest and happiness. This place is named after Abraham, as he's the spiritual father of all those who've been declared righteous on the basis of their faith, just as Abraham was. So, having the same faith, in the afterlife they go to the same place as Abraham, who then welcomes his children on arrival. But unbelievers went to another compartment of Hades called Torments, a place of punishment and flames, causing continual thirst. It's the palace dungeon, the holding cell for those under the condemnation of the king, where they await their final sentencing, an assignment to their final place of punishment. Verse 26 then says, And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. These two different compartments for believers and unbelievers were separated by a great gulf fixed, also called the abyss, or the bottomless pit. Consistently in the Bible, this is the place for the imprisonment of fallen angels and demons. It's where Satan will be locked up for a thousand years. So Hades has at least three compartments, Abraham's bosom, torments, and the abyss. So at death, a man's soul must go to one of two possible places, paradise or torments, depending on the choices he makes in this life. Abraham says that it's then impossible to go from one side of the abyss to the other, from torments to paradise. In other words, a man's eternal destiny is fixed forever at death. After death, it will be too late to change your mind. This true story about life in Hades gives a detailed description of conscious experience after death. The rich man saw, he willed, he heard, he desired, he felt heat, he, he thirsted, he felt torment, he talked, he felt concern for his family. Also Lazarus and Abraham were conscious and felt comforted in paradise. This totally con contradicts the idea of soul sleep. So in the Old Testament times, all went down to Hades when they died, even believers. Because until Jesus died and rose again, bringing in the new covenant, it was impossible for anyone to be born again. And so it was impossible for their spirits to go into heaven. Jesus said in John 3 that the new birth is essential in order to enter heaven. Unless one is born again, he said, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I say to you, unless one is born of water 
of his mother's womb and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit you must be born again so before the resurrection heaven wasn't populated by man as Jesus said in John 3:13, no one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven the son of man this explains Jesus' statement in Matthew 11, 11. Among those born of women, there hasn't arisen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, than John. Although John was the greatest of the prophets, he wasn't born again because he died before the cross. Now, on the basis of their faith, the sins of the Old Testament saints were forgiven, and they were legally counted as righteous. Therefore, they went to paradise rather than to a place of punishment. However, they only had an imputed righteousness, not an imparted righteousness. They were still spiritually dead in Adam. Their spirits were not yet made perfect and alive to God, and so they didn't qualify to enter heaven. Ezekiel 36, 26, prophesied the new birth. He says, I'll put a new spirit within you, and I'll put my spirit within you. However, this wasn't available until the new covenant was established. Our new birth was accomplished by Christ. When we accepted him, we were put in him, and we were identified with his death and resurrection. Our old spirit man was crucified and buried with Christ, and in its place we received the new spirit man, which was made alive with Christ and risen with him. You can read that in Romans 6 and Ephesians 2. By our union with Christ, his resurrection power was applied to our spirit, causing it to be reborn in his image. The new man in Christ is holy, righteous, and perfect, Ephesians 4.24. Where is workmanship created in Christ, Ephesians 2.10? Where is new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17? The old man has passed away, and all things are new. Where is the righteousness of God in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.21? 1 Peter 1.3 says that we were born again through the resurrection of Christ. And 1 Peter 1.23 says we're born again through the incorruptible seed of God's word, which lives and abides forever. Therefore, our spirit consists of the perfect, incorruptible nature of the resurrected Christ. Jesus said that all who believe in him will have, will possess God's eternal life in their spirit. John 3.16 Thus, this amazing new birth was made available through Christ's resurrection. And so the spirits of believers could only be reborn and go to heaven after his resurrection. Although in the Old Testament men were counted as just or righteous... Righteousness was not yet imparted to their spirits, so their spirits were not yet made perfect, and so couldn't go to heaven. But all that changed when Christ rose. Hebrews 11 lists the Old Testament heroes of faith, and concludes in verse 39 that although they obtained a good testimony through faith, they did not receive the promise. The context tells us what this promise is. It was the promise of heaven and the new Jerusalem. Verse 10 and 16. Thus, they didn't go to heaven when they died. This explains why, in, in verse 40, he says, God, having provided something better for us, that's New Covenant believers, that they, Old Covenant believers, should not be made perfect apart from us. They had to wait, you see. So they had to wait until the New Covenant to be made perfect in spirit and so be able to possess the promise. 
But when Christ rose again, the promise could be fulfilled and these Old Testament saints were born again and made perfect and then transferred to heaven. And Hebrews chapter 12, the next chapter, verse 22, confirms this. It says, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men or righteous men made perfect. Notice the church saints are now in heaven. We were registered in heaven when we were born again, and we became citizens of heaven. Believers are already seated with Christ in heavenly places, and when they die, they go to heaven. And there's also a separate group of people in heaven called the spirits of just men made perfect. This is a perfect description of the Old Testament saints who were counted as just or righteous, but were only made perfect when they received the new birth when Jesus rose from the dead. Another way to see this is that Christ only opened up the new and living way to heaven through his death and resurrection, Hebrews 10.20. So believers before the cross couldn't go to heaven. But now that's changed. In John 14, Jesus promised to prepare a place in heaven for us and then declared that he would be the way to heaven so that we could come to God in heaven through him. He also said that there was no other way. For no one can come to God except through him, verse 6. He opened up this way when he rose from the dead and ascended to his Father. And now we can understand John 14, 12, when Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I'll do, he'll do also, and greater works than these he'll do, because I go to the Father. How can we do greater works than Jesus? He did many works, but he couldn't get anyone born again. But now he's died, risen again, and gone to the Father. The new birth is now possible, and the way is open to heaven. So now we can get people born again, where they receive eternal life in heaven. This is a greater work than the temporary work of healing or deliverance. So through his death and resurrection, establishing the new covenant, Jesus brought in a major change. He prophesied this when he first announced the formation of his church in Matthew 16:18. He said, on this rock, that's Jesus himself, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. His promise to his church, which was established after his resurrection, was that the prison gates of Hades would not prevail over us. Hades no longer has the right or power over a believer's spirit to hold us in its clutches. So when a believer dies, he won't go through the gates of Hades like the Old Testament saints did. New Covenant believers will not go down to Hades, but up to heaven, praise God. Man was under the power of Hades and death. Hades controlled man's soul. Death had his body. But Jesus conquered both Hades and death in his death and resurrection. So in Revelation 1.18, he claimed, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. By these keys, he now has the power to release men's souls from the power of Hades and man's bodies from death. He demonstrated this at his resurrection. First, using his key to Hades, he set all the Old Testament believers free from Hades and took them up to heaven with him. Also, when New Testament believers die, we will not go into Hades, but straight to the presence of God in heaven. Secondly, at his resurrection, he used his key of death also to resurrect a number of believers who had died recently in Jerusalem. You can read that in Matthew 27:52. These form the first fruits offering to God, a token of the full harvest to come, the guarantee of our future resurrection from the dead. 
Jesus has defeated the power of death and Hades for all believers. So we can declare with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15:55, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Soon Jesus will use his key to death again to raise us up at the rapture. Philippians 2.9 confirms that Christ's victory included gaining authority over the realm under the earth. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, those who are in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. Those under the earth are all the inhabitants of Hades. Because Jesus identified fully with humanity when he died, his body was laid in a grave, but his human spirit went down to Hades on his death, which is located in the center of the earth. In Matthew 12:40, he said he would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Romans 10:7 says, Christ descended into the abyss. Ephesians 4:9 says he descended to the lower parts of the earth, the different compartments of Hades. Acts 2.24 and 31 says, Whom God raised up, having lo loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. <clears throat> 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God in heaven, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And when he was made alive, he went to paradise as he had promised the thief on the cross, to preach the gospel and to take all the believers to heaven. 1 Peter 4, 6 tells us about that. The gospel has been preached even to those who are dead, that though they were judged in the flesh as men, they might live in the spirit according to God. Though when they died they were judged as men in Adam and so had to go to Hades, yet now through believing the gospel they were put in Christ and were born again so their spirits received the life of God and they could go up to heaven. So Jesus went to the believers in paradise and preached the gospel to them saying, I'm the Messiah, I've died for your sins, I've risen again and I've established the new covenant in my blood so whoever receives me will be born again and go to heaven with me. Paradise was already expectant for his arrival. First Joseph would have told them all about his conception, birth and childhood. Then John the Baptist would have arrived in paradise and described his baptism and miracles. Then his friend Lazarus made a four-day visit there and told them many things before they all heard Jesus calling him back to the earth. Lazarus, come forth. And this would have proved, of course, that he was the Christ. Finally, the thief on the cross arrived and told them about the crucifixion and that he promised to visit him in paradise. When Jesus rose out of Hades, he took these righteous dead with him. Then, early on the resurrection morning, he ascended to heaven as the first fruits offering to God and took them with him into heaven. This is the ascension Jesus announced to Mary Madeline in John 20, 17, when he said, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, and to your Father, and to my God, and to your God. This is when he took his blood into the heavenly holy of holies, and received all authority from the Father. And this was on the morning of the resurrection. This is when Ephesians 4.8 was fulfilled, saying, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. Those in captivity were the souls in paradise. He led all the Old Testament saints up to heaven as part of his triumphal procession. This is why after the resurrection, paradise, the dwelling place of the righteous after death, is now located in the third heaven, not in Hades as previously. We see this from Paul's own experience in 2 Corinthians 12, 
verse 2. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. He was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible words. Paul was talking about himself when he was stoned to death in Acts chapter 14, but was raised again through the prayers of the saints. If you work it out, he wrote 2 Corinthians 14 years later. He died and left his body. And instead of going down to Hades, he was caught up to the third heaven into paradise. The first heaven is the atmosphere. The second heaven is outer space. And the third heaven is where the new Jerusalem and God's throne is. Notice that paradise has now been relocated to heaven. So all believers now go up to heaven when they die, rather than going down to Hades. 2 Corinthians 5.8 confirms this. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. When you're absent from the body, you go straight up into the presence of the Lord in heaven. All these verses prove that we remain conscious after death. Paul says in Philippians 1.21, To me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live in the flesh, it's for the fruit of my labor. Yet what I'll choose I know not. I'm torn between the two, with a desire to depart this body and be with Christ, which is far better. The moment we depart our body, we'll be with Christ, which is far better for us. Stephen's death in Acts 7 describes the death of a new covenant believer. Verse 55, being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, ready to receive him, and said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So you see heaven opened to receive him. Verse 59 says, they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And Jesus received him into heaven. Revelation 6.9 describes the martyrs killed in the first half of the tribulation as being conscious and in heaven. It says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar in heaven the souls of those who'd been slain for the word of God and for their testimony. And the Revelation 7 verse 9 onwards reveals a greater number of martyrs killed in the great tribulation who are again seen conscious and in heaven. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 says, At the rapture, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. This proves that the departed spirits of believers are now in heaven, so that when Jesus returns, he'll bring them with him to earth to be reunited with their body in resurrection power. Although Christ relocated the place where believers go, unbelievers who reject the work of Christ still go to torments in Hades, a place of punishment, a holding cell for those who've already been found guilty and are awaiting their final sentencing. 2 Peter 2.9 says, The Lord knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. We need to preach the gospel and we need to tell them there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun.